Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Just earlier this week, my wife Laura and I went on a walk one evening. It was cloudy, cool, and beautiful. And we thought we would get a walk in before bedtime. And as we were on our walk, the cloud cover quickly turned to more cloud cover and a little windier. And before you knew it, a light drizzle turned on us. So Laura and I decided, well, let's just turn around and we'll we'll walk back and we should beat any storm that may be blowing in. And so we turn around and we begin to walk back. And then suddenly the light drizzle turned into an outright downpour. And so as, as the rain is starting to come down on us at a pretty big rate, we, we kind of get into a jog. And as we're kind of hurrying our way along back home, within yards of me to my right, lightning strikes. And when the lightning struck, I went into a dead sprint and we were off running. And the rain just kept coming. This beautiful walk that we were on, this time out of the house, away from the kids, we were on, turned into, well, a disaster. It just lots of rain and fear came out of this walk that we didn't anticipate, that we didn't plan for. And I think in a lot of ways, in Mark chapter 8, this is the scene that is going on. Because this is one, it starts off to be one of the greatest and most uh, meaningful and encouraging passages of Scripture. Because Jesus has, is feeding thousands of people with very little at the beginning of Mark chapter 8. Jesus heals a blind man in Mark chapter 8. Peter verbally confesses Jesus as Messiah. The first time that this has happened in the Gospel of Mark. And it is a triumphant moment in all of the Gospel story. And as you keep reading, though, this beautiful walk, this encouraging time, takes a drastic turn and rain starts pouring and lightning strikes in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, when Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. There's a great conflict taking place here in Mark chapter 8, which leads Jesus to say these words. Jesus is confronting the conflict to which Peter now has brought up to Jesus. And Jesus' answer to the conflict is to remind those who are following him that the, the, the path that they are on with him leads them to a place of self-denial, to a place of, 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 of crucifixion, and to a place right alongside the one who will be crucified. This reminds me of the great conflict, this great moment I think this is true, right? Rocky 4. When Rocky is confronting the enemy in the ring. And they are face to face, glove to glove, eye to eye. 
And this is the moment before the conflict is confronted. We have a moment like this. Except Jesus isn't going to fight. Jesus isn't going to make a punch. He's not going to swing. He's not going to step in the ring. But he's going to face the conflict to which Peter now has brought up. But he's going to face it eye to eye. And in the way that he has lived his entire life. By self-denial. By carrying his cross in this moment. On his way to his crucifixion. Let's bring this up a little bit. Let's, let's, let's back up. And let's pay attention to how we get to this conflicting moment between Peter and between Jesus and why Jesus has gonna, feels compelled to, com, to confront this conflict with these words. Now, in Mark chapter 8, now the Gospel of Mark, uh, and I love how Mark constructs his story of Jesus because up until Mark chapter 8, verse 30, uh, in the passage that comes up to Peter's confession, no one has confessed. No human has confessed Jesus as Messiah. Only, only demons have up until this point. And so when Jesus asks in Mark chapter 8, picking up in verse 27, he says, Who do people say I am? Verse 28, some of the disciples replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, You are the Messiah. This is a monumental moment in Mark's story of Jesus. Because here, for the first time in his telling of Jesus' story, someone has vocalized this grand truth. That Jesus is more than a prophet. He's more than a good person. He's more than someone with tricks up his sleeve. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And Peter's confession is a triumphant moment because now those who have followed, who have witnessed, who have been with Jesus all the way from the beginning of Mark's gospel in this slow climb to this moment and Mark 8 now can confess and vocalize this truth. And here, from a literary standpoint, everything changes in the story. Because now we know. We vocalize it right along with Peter. And here, very much so, in the story, and for the hearers of the story, everything changes with this confession. Because Peter confesses that he is Lord, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one that he's witnessed and seen change life after life after life. And that confession now puts him into a different, uh, onto a different path. Mark 8, verse 31. He, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed after three days and rise again. Now this didn't go unnoticed. Because out of confession, Jesus now begins to teach them what it looks like to confess Jesus as Messiah. Because their Messiah is going to die. 
He's going to die crucified on the cross, but he'll be raised from the dead. Now, Peter doesn't like this. Jesus spoke plainly about this. Now, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and he looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Wow. Jesus says, Peter, you're aligned with Satan. See, Peter doesn't like what Jesus is saying. Jesus said that he's going to die. Right after the confession that Peter, Peter thought that he had made this, he had come to this place where he understood everything finally and he makes this confession and Jesus seemingly pulls the rug out from under him. You see, Peter was on a nice walk and the weather turned on him pretty quickly. He rebukes Jesus and in the sense that Peter gets pretty intense with Jesus because he doesn't like the message that Jesus is sharing. And Jesus gets right back into his face. We now have conflict. We have the gospel story according to Peter and the gospel story according to Jesus now coming eye to eye, glove to glove, face to face. Peter, Peter believes that his confession of this Jesus ought to bring Jesus into power and into prosperity. That this Jesus, this Messiah, will overtake the Roman government. He will be the leader that he's always dreamed of. Jesus, Jesus looks at the conflict and sees not Peter, not power, not prosperity. He sees the evil one in this moment. He sees the mere ways of humans in this moment. It is this conflict where Jesus sees this story and this desire now face to face with the way to which Jesus has gone, has lived, has shared, has shown, to which leads him rebuking Peter, calling him Satan, telling him that he is wrong in what he thinks, and out of his confession, he has missed it yet again. Jesus says this. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and Jesus said this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or can anyone give an exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. When he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Those who heard this, those of us who hear this today, in many ways, we're on a nice walk. 
We planned it out. We determined it was beautiful weather. It was going to be perfect. We were going to casually walk and be comfortable. And on that walk, the clouds came in pretty quick. And it altered some of our plans, but not too much. That's okay. We can change things just a little bit. But then suddenly, rain started coming down. Now our plans are changed once again, and so we begin to kind of backtrack, turn around, and plan for just in case a storm's coming, when all of a sudden lightning strikes, and it's in the moment of lightning striking that we begin to question everything, because now we are fearful, and we are anxious, and we are in a dead sprint to get to safety as the rain is now downpouring on us, and we're questioning that, why is God allowing the rain to come. Why does God want me wet? Why does God want me cold? Why is God interrupting my perfect walk and my perfect night? Why is God interrupting my plans? Why is this happening? This is exactly what is happening in this moment. The beautiful walk is in direct conflict with the moment of the rain and the storm. You see, we want what we have planned and what we think and what we believe to be right and comfortable. And that story, that gospel message does not hold up to the message and the gospel story of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Peter is a prosperity gospel. And the gospel of Jesus is a gospel of self-denial. It's the gospel story of the cross and crucifixion. And it's a gospel story of of his disciples following right up to that death. See, when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow him, he's not using flowery, flowery language. He's quite... I think serious that followers of Christ must not live into the beautiful walk, but rather embrace the storm that they are in because Jesus is asking his followers to die for them. To follow him to a harsh and brutal death to the cross. And this conflict doesn't end with Peter, does it? It continues this very day. Now let's notice where the conflict really begins. Peter's confession is a good moment. It is a triumphant moment in the gospel story and for the disciples. Because Jesus is Messiah. He is the Lord. But confession without action, it is weak It's powerless. It is nothing but mere words. It is the way of humans. You see, confession without action is like, well, it's like liking a Jesus post on Facebook and nothing more. Confession without action is like reading up to Mark chapter 8 verse 30 and not going any further. Confession without action is going on the walk. And when it rains, 
building shelter to ensure we never get cold or wet because it's not the way of comfort. It's not the way I planned it. Confession requires action. Now I want you to think about this because baptism is so incredibly important. It follows this model because out of confession, baptism leads us to act. It leads us into an action. Because baptism is more than just a feeling. It's more than just an acceptance. It's more than just a confession. It requires an action out of it. And we confess in baptism. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I believe that he is the Son of God. And I'm confessing that he is Emmanuel. He has come from God and he has saved me on the cross and the, and the tomb is empty out of him. But that confession alone leads into this action. This action where we die. We die in the watery graves. We die to ourselves. We die to the ways of this world. We die so that out of death, Jesus will raise us back up. That Jesus, in death, will give us life, a new life, an eternal life, an everlasting life, a kingdom life, a Jesus Spirit-filled life evermore. And out of that confession, that action has led us to this new place, this new way. You see, baptism is a way of confronting this prosperity gospel This idea that we need to be comfortable, that we should be comfortable, that I can't be a Jesus follower unless I have the things that I want, that I have all things in order. Confession confronts, baptism confronts this way because baptism requires this action of death so that life, so that life everlasting will come. Now the Apostle Paul knew this. He knew this quite well. He knew this as he, as he wrote in, in many different ways. In 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul said, We preach a crucified Christ. Now this causes the Jews to stumble and is foolishness to non-Jews. He writes to the church in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he writes to his friend Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.12, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, we confess and action comes out of it. And this, this action out of this confession confronts the way that you and I often find ourselves wanting to live. A place of self-denial. A place of taking up our cross. And a place of following this Messiah to the cross. Following is more than hitting a button, sharing a meme, making a really cool scripture background, Following is putting self last on the priority list. Self-denial is required for Jesus' followers. It's not me, it's you. It's my neighbors, it's my friends. And in this time of social distancing, there may be no more of a neighborly act than making sure that we are keeping each other safe with distance 
with physical distance. Following is really hard. It's hard. Taking up your cross every single day, as the Gospel of Matthew puts it, taking up your cross, that's a hard thing to do. And when we take up our cross every day, you know what we're doing? We're reaffirming that Jesus is our Messiah. We are reaffirming that confession, but more than that, we are reaffirming the action, the, the, the movement and the life that is following Jesus. It's hard. No one says it's going to be easy, but the ways of Jesus are hard. And lastly, following is a bunch of nonsense. The cross is this paradigm. It's this, it's this, it's this function of how Christians ought to live. And that makes no sense to this world to the structures of this world, to the goals of this world, living the Christ cross-shaped, cruciform, Christoform way of life makes no sense to this world. See, in our and our challenge is trying to figure out is is working towards living into this cross-shaped Jesus form, this confession into action life and a social distance pandemic time. Because our comforts in a lot of ways have been pulled away from us. Our routines have been pulled away from us. And now we, we try to figure out what this looks like. And, and the thing that we can do, the greatest thing we can do during this time, and this time that we start to look forward to a transition back to norma- normality, whatever that is, is to ask ourselves, how does this cross form me? How does this cross shape me? Because we can use this time to hear the words of Jesus and to not confront him, not to be in conflict with him, but to use this time to know that we will live in an action into a life of self-denial, into a hard life of carrying our cross, into a nonsensical way of life where Jesus is always in the steps in front of us. How does the cross form you? Our God calls us at all times in pandemics and in really good times on beautiful walks and in the rain. He calls us to a life that is much different than we are often taught or life that we often think of as comfort and prestige or power or influence. God Jesus' gospel calls us to a life of self-denial. He calls us to a life of picking up a cross and following in his footsteps. And so and during these weird times, in these times where we're spending a lot of time at home, our schedules have been uprooted and we're taking on many different kinds of home responsibilities, waiting for that time where we can go back out to restaurants and movie theaters and on trips and all these kinds of things, it makes it even more important to use the time that we have right now as not just a way for us to grieve what we've lost, our comfort and our routines, but to take advantage of the time that we have to prepare, to use it as a launching pad, as a preparing ground for what can and will come, an opportunity, an opportunity to live in action, to live 
in the Jesus gospel action. And we're going to go in places we never thought. If we start praying, preparing for that now, if we begin to wrestle with what does it look like to live in a gospel action in a pandemic, we will go places we never imagined before. My wife and I, we had been foster parents for 10 years. That Our license just ended just a couple of months ago. And that was a journey, a path I never imagined. I been to houses and buildings with people and in situations that I never could have imagined. And it's all because I, I had I have met people and children, parents, foster care workers. I have met all kinds of people that I never would have met before if I had not taken up my cross, if I had not done the hard it made no sense. It made no sense for us to be foster parents. We had children of our own. We had a busy life. We had school. We had work. We had all kinds of reasons and excuses. But we made the hard decision to deny the comforts and the pleasures of ourselves. We made the hard, nonsense decision to take up our cross for the sake of those orphans who couldn't take it up themselves. We made the hard, nonsense decision to go to a place we never ever imagined before and when we and you and I make that decision that hard nonsense decision to deny ourselves to take up our cross and to go where Jesus is leading us we're going to be in places we never imagined before let's dream and let's imagine where God can take us as individuals and as a church, where he can take his kingdom, his followers, if we'll simply do the hard, nonsense work right now to deny ourselves, pick up that cross, and follow him. Love you, church. I stand to praise you but I fall to my knees my spirit is willing but my flesh is so weak like the fire